Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And indeed it is. And it's a, a wonderful time of year when there's so much excitement happening. Spring is just around the corner. I keep on putting those horrible little pictures of springs hiding around corners up all over the place. But also I put up a huge amount of flowers because I can't resist it. You work in a place where there's lots of flowers, there's lots of color. And even if you don't have it in your garden at the moment, you can always hang out at garden centers and go and check out what's happening. But to tell us more about some of the varieties that are coming up, for the season and some of the perennial favorites, even if they are annuals, we have Kathy Barney coming to talk to us about everything that is happening when it comes to all the new plants coming out. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Ma. How are you? I'm good. Now, after the trials this year, what, what came out from the trials um, that you, you held? And we've talked about the trials before and what goes into actually having new plants coming onto the market, which ones are going to work, which ones you've been working with, which ones are great for our environment, not just in Johannesburg, but also around the country. Yeah. So our trials in November, uh, great success, lots of new varieties chosen, and a lot of those have already been on the market. The most exciting thing I think this year Based on the trials last year, our trials were in November, but mm. in October we planted some impatience. You're very old-fashioned, old-fashioned but brand new busy lizzies. Mm. Um, the impatience were Liriana for the shade. And the reason these were so important, these trials, were to see is it going to get downy mildew. I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, downy mildew just devastated Was gardeners. It that long ago? It's, it's been a while. We've been counting, really. Um, it just devastated gardeners, growers, garden centers, because nothing really beat that busy lizzy color for the shade. Like yeah. in a landscape and, you know, your established gardens, you've got the, the, those deep shady parts and, or, oh even semi-shade and yeah. to get like a, a nice white colorful bed, uh, it's, it's pretty hard to replace. And what downy mildew was, was it's a sickness basically. And it would come and it would just wipe out the plants. They drop their leaves, drop their flowers and die. And you'd have very empty beds. But where did it come from? I mean, what, what happened in the first place? I remember when it happened and, and it was just like completely devastation and people, what are we going to plant in its place and how are we going to clean up the soil? And it was a case of actually having to take the soil away if you ever wanted to plant them there again. Yeah. Which still, Probably didn't work. The The spores will be in the soil, they'll be in the air, and downy mildew is just impossible to control. It was mm. impossible to get rid of, and I can honestly say it is still there. It is still in our soil, in our air, and it will still kill our impatience Walleriana. Mm. However, the, the new one that has just come out, there are actually two. The one is called Beacon, and the one is called Imara. And what these breeders have done is they've built them to be highly resistant. So they both act a bit differently. But we did this big trial and we put it next to your old traditional types and we planted them in October. And by the end of January, um, the traditional super elfin were gone. They started dying. They got that funny white furriness under the leaves and then they were just gone, mm -hmm. completely gone, big gaps in the beds. The Amara, it did show the little furriness under the leaves, but it dropped the leaves, but it kept the flowers and it stayed alive. And then the beacon never showed any of those spores or what I keep referring to as fairiness. And, uh, and they just continued thriving. And basically we pulled them out in June or July because they were starting to get a bit cold. Uh, but they gave that color for the shade the whole season long. Mm. So this was massive news and we all went crazy excited and the growers out there are so excited. And so it's, it's, they call it highly resistant. And what that means is it could get it. Uh, it doesn't show it. Mm. So it's, it, it may, you know, 
have it, but it's not going to die. It's not going to get weak or it might not get it at all. So if you plant it with your traditional older types, uh, you'll see that those ones will go and the rest will stay. And this is very big news for the industry. But I mean, I know since it happened 10 years ago, I mean, it has been trialing and have been trying all different ways of actually getting rid of it. I mean, when a disease or a fungus hits, that's it pretty much. I mean, people have got to start working. As we know, with the shot hole borer at the moment, everybody's trying to find a cure. Yeah. Although... They have been working on it for 10 years in Israel and California and still haven't come up with a cure. So I'm not expecting anything lightning fast to come out of South Africa. But where, who actually came up with the cure for the busy lizzies? Because I know whenever I came out to Bull Start Off, we were shooting out there, we'd see all these beds of impatience and just like we're all sitting and watching them, yeah. watching them like hawks, basically, and thinking, okay, let's just hope that these ones work. Yeah. Well, I think in the past, what people would do is you could spray the plants and everything, but no one wants to spend all their time trying to prevent a plant from getting sick. Mm. You just want to enjoy its lovely display. So there were those options, but they weren't foolproof. So you've got these big seed companies around the world who are always bringing us new plants. And this was quite important. And I think they have been working on it for ages. I'm not a scientist, so I can't get into the very detailed parts of it. And I also think it probably cost a fortune, but I think it was worth it. And what they've done is they've, it's just in the seed, the breeding technologies. Mm. So some of them, you know, they might just put them in the fields and see which ones die and which ones don't. The beacon is, it's from a company called Pan American Seed, which is based in the USA. Uh, but they've got trial facilities and locations around the world. So they made sure they trialed this in every location they could. And we were the location in South Africa where we, we gave them our results as well. And they inoculate the plants and give them downy mildew and see how they react. So yeah, it's those, those companies. The other one is Syngenta for Imara. It's also, uh, I think Syngenta is based in Europe. Mm. And yeah, it's the breeders who, who breed this into the plant itself so that you don't have to go ahead and spray it or anything. It's now, it's, it's going to do the job for you. So it wasn't something that was uh, South Africa specific because I, I think that people, when they come into garden centers and they're told, no, there's a problem with the plants, they think it's something South African. It's all your fault. It's you, the growers. You've done this specifically, but it was worldwide. Yeah. So Downy Mildew, I think South Africa was one of the first hit. I think South Africa, Australia, and then probably South America. I'm not sure, but we were the first hit by it. And we were making a fuss. And I think it's only once it hit Europe and America, your very big garden markets, where everyone said, oh, wow, we need to take this seriously now. And I don't know for sure how it how it came. It would have come in on the plants or mm. I don't know. It's how do we get a cold? It's, it's basically a similar kind of thing. And, you know, these viruses evolve and, and do different things. It's called nature. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So let's hope that it doesn't evolve and find a way to attack this one. But I'm pretty sure we've got uh, an amazing, an amazing display of colorful the shade now for years to come. And it's exciting times. Well, yeah, we're, going, we're all touching wood. Yeah. See, I'm tapping my head at the moment because we all know that I'm kind of Pinocchio. Um, but one of the things about Busy Lizzie's, of course, is that it was very difficult for people to find something else that they could plant in their stead, especially the people who like their annuals. Yeah. And begonias were the one. And I know we still, I mean, some of us like begonias, some of us don't. Yeah. And then there's always this, this whole question about, is the green begonia for shade and the, the, the bronze leafed one for the sun? Or how does that work? And I mean, it's still one of these things and it isn't a foolproof thing. Some of the bronze ones are absolutely completely happy in the shade as well. Yeah. So for, for me, uh, the way I understand it and the way I use them is uh, semi-shade or shade with the begonias. I don't think the leaf color makes a huge difference. Yeah. I think the green 
People like it for the shade because when you've got a green leaf in the shade, it's going to pop more than a bronze. The bronze might be a little bit, I don't know, lost in the soil mm. and, the, and the shade. But yeah, they're, they're also perfect for the shade. I think, I think the thing with the impatience is they can take more shade, but also it's less plants to cover the area because they spread so nicely. Mm. Whereas the begonias, you know, they like to be buddy-buddy and planted close together and, and you know, give you your display that way. So there have been some replacements, but a lot of people, they just said, no, nothing has quite measured up to your busy Lizzie. But I still get that question pretty much every week. Okay. What can I plant in the shade? And it is an ongoing thing. And I'm, I'm very much into perennials. Yep. So for me, it's always going to be plectranthus, but obviously in winter, they're not exactly the right thing to have. In fact, in winter in my garden, nothing happens in the shade, but it has been a, what can I plant that's annual that will give me color and you can put it into deep shade. And the, one of the things that I, I know now is on the invasive list, of course, is Vinca, the periwinkle, which was an, a wonderful thing because it goes from full sun to full shade. I know it's a perennial and we're talking about annuals, but it was one of those things that would still give you color and a ground cover. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you suggest to people if they're not really into the impatience or they don't want to do annuals um, like the impatience or begonias, what else can you put there? Yeah, this is always such a tricky question. I, I know when I'm planning our trial gardens and I look at the shady areas, uh, the list is is very short of what you can put there compared to your bright color for the sun. Mm. Uh, we do we do recommend perennials as well. So what's been coming on the market recently is heucheras. So they do quite well in the shade. Mm. You don't want them in full sun because they're going to burn. Uh, they do shoot out the flower spikes in in your different months in spring and summer, but their leaves also change color through the season. So it's a proper perennial. I remember when I was in England, it would be covered in snow. And when the snow melted, it was still there. Mm. And uh, you get these lovely caramel colors and, you know, very bright greens. So you can still brighten up the shade, although it's not necessarily your bright flower colors. Yeah. So yeah, heuchera comes to mind. Um, All your foliage colors are the ones to go for. In fact, underneath like trees, things that are not going to really battle with the tree like yeah. getting nutrients and water. Yeah, you've also got your, yeah, it's it's foliage, but you can get bright foliage. So you can look at your coleus as well. You, yeah. get, uh, you get different kinds of coleus these days, actually, because it's always been known as a shade plant. And now you get some that are really good in the sun as well. And their colors become almost more vivid in the sun. So there's what we call seed types and vegetative types. The ones from cuttings are, are really good in the sun. Mm -hmm. And the ones from seed, they're perfect for the shade. And it's not just a, a green leaf. It can have bright pinks. You get some called, I don't know, chocolate covered cherry, which is brown and pink, or, you know, choc mint, which is green and brown. Mm. Uh, you get watermelon and scarlet and you get different shapes and sizes. It sounds like a, ver like a, Absolute smorgasbord. <laughs> it's actually Fruit salad, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, that's an interesting thing that you brought up there because I've always wondered about you know, the difference between plants coming from cuttings and plants coming from seed. And we, like you know, people say, oh yeah, I'm just going to take some cuttings of this and others are like, I'm just going to scatter seed everywhere. But there is a difference in the way that plants are grown and the way that they come out. Yeah. So I think in terms of, you know, at the beginning of the chain and the breeders and everything, and you can, you produce a plant or develop an amazing plant and it can either be produced by seed or by cuttings. Seed is generally the easier, let's say, in terms of, you know, sowing a seed and germinating a seed mm. in some ways. And But it takes quite a while for something new to come to the market. Uh, cuttings, it moves a lot quicker. And it's often a difference in the performance and the habit of a plant. So take a petunia, for instance. For your garden beds, you, you want your seed petunias. Either you sow it from seed or you go buy your six-pack. Those will all be seed-raised plants. Mm. 
Whereas a vegetative petunia is often really good for hanging baskets and for containers. It's that strong, vigorous plant. It doesn't go bald in the middle. The sea petunias. But they also turn out to be a bit more expensive normally, which is possibly why you wouldn't fill your garden beds with those. Uh, these days, not a huge difference. Sometimes you'll look at something and think that's definitely from cuttings and it turns out it was seed mm. or vice versa. They're all kind of keeping up with each other. But in general, a petunia is a petunia. It doesn't mean you need to treat them any differently. Uh, now and again, you know, they'll try make something do better in the rain or have more vivid colors or, you know, something quite unique, but it's not a huge difference. But petunias, I mean, they really have been playing with them quite a lot. And, yeah. and I mean, I've said it before and everybody knows I wasn't very into petunias until they came out with Night Sky or yeah. Starry Night, as I prefer to call it. And I fell in love with that. And then the last trials came along and Lightning Sky came out with that deep maroon color. Yeah. And Queen of Hearts. I mean, I don't know how people actually go about creating these plants because they are um, a freak of nature, actually, because then you wouldn't find those naturally growing somewhere. They have been bred to have those particular colors. Do you think there's ever going to be a stop to people creating new and more fantastic petunias? No, I think they're going to do it to all sorts of plants. And you say you say a freak of nature, but if you think about it before everyone goes, oh, you're messing with nature. Uh, if you think about it, all that's happening often and how they find these new varieties is, let's say in nature, the bee takes the pollen from this one and this one and kind of, you know, lands up sitting and, and crossing it. it. It produces a new a new color. And that's often, I mean, I've been in the breeding houses of the seed guys and it's it's amazing. They take a feather duster or they put in bees. And they just let them cross and cross pollinate and you get a new color. Mm. So I think they will constantly be uh, inventing new colors. And often it's also a case in the breeding where they're trying to make it stronger for you. So like the impatience so that it doesn't die or that, you know, a petunia that does better in the rain, which I don't think they've quite got right yet, but they're... (laughs) So they'll work on it. Yeah, because everybody thinks that petunias are like such delicate little flowers that need to be looked after, but they're like roses. You can just actually treat them badly and they're, they're happy. Yeah. Just don't give them too much water. Yeah, I find that with most plants. I think they're very forgiving. I really do. But no, to answer your question, I think forever there will be new things coming along like like everything in the world, basically. They will always be looking at new colors, new plants, new new fun things that will come out. So what have you got on your radar that will be coming up for the next trials? I mean, I'm very interested because whenever I come in, I mean, last year when I came, I was so excited about the fact that there were all these new helichrysum and silver colored plants, yeah. like all the silver foliage. Uh, and I mean, it's not something that most people would get excited about. I know the year before it was the new millet and who well, millet in a garden. Isn't that stuff that you have like farmers growing? I mean, it's what, what is coming up that's exciting, that is unusual, that you can kind of give us a bit of a heads up about? Well, one of the things that I'm quite excited about, and I know overseas they've gone crazy and a, a lot of the people who already know here are quite excited. Uh, it doesn't sound that interesting, but it's an interspecific pelargonium. And the reason it's special is if you imagine you've got your zonal pelargoniums yeah. and your pultatums. Okay, so explain for the, the novices, the, the zonal is the bush geranium, yes? Yeah, the zonal is your bush one, it's got the zone in the leaf and it's almost got those furry leaves, yeah. which means in the rain they can go a little bit offy and not so great. And the peltatums may be better in the rain because uh, they've got the waxy leaves. They're your more trailing types and spreading types. And they've got very showy flowers. Mm. So now you take these two plants and you say, I'm going to have the showy flowers. I'm going to give it some rain tolerance, but I'm going to still be able to put them in the heat and drought like the zonal. 
And basically, voila, you've now got these fantastic, beautiful flowers through the summer in the heat, in the drought that are, they're just performing. So it's, I think if you walked up to a whole big row of pelargoniums, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell the difference. And that's the whole point. Mm. It doesn't necessarily look completely different, but it's going to give you the better performance. And it's got a little bit of edge on its good lookingness, I would say. Uh, often in the breeding world, the big, the big holy grail is to get that deep red color, but with a nice green leaf. Mm. And they're still working on that, but you could find that in the interspecific. So that's quite an exciting one coming on. There's one called uh, Marcada, which has already been out there, but fantastic new colors coming, a beautiful pink bicolor that you'll see in November. In bicolor in, in what way? It's uh, it's almost like a dark pink center with the lighter pink outer edge petals. So it's it's very striking and you can see it from far. Then there's another one called Champion, which uh, to me has just been astounding. The, the flower heads on these plants are just phenomenal. They're huge. They, and they just keep flowering. So it's, it's been pretty good. Look, we're, we're really blessed here in South Africa with the fact that we, we have so many amazing plants. What upsets me a lot of the time is that we've had our kind of indigenous flora taken overseas where people are playing with them and then selling them back to us. Yeah. <laughs> Surely we have people in our country who can be doing the same thing here. I think there are people in the country who are doing breeding and they are working on different things with our indigenous plants and probably plants from elsewhere as well. Um, so I think it's just almost a bigger industry overseas. Maybe they've got more experience or not experience. I want to say they've had a longer time to be mm. doing these kind of things and maybe more money. I'm not sure, but there are definitely people breeding all sorts of things locally as well. I know there's a osteosperman breeding coming in and, you know, that's one of our indigenous favorites and that's doing, being done locally. You've obviously got all the aloe breeding as well. So it's definitely also being focused on here. But the osteos as well, I mean, they've been looking absolutely amazing. I mean, we're going into spring at them. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't feel like we've actually had a winter. No, it feels like spring at the moment, which is a little bit terrifying. It's completely messing with my body clock. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but I'm loving it. And all the flowers think it's spring. Uh, jasmine's out and blooming and smelling amazing. So no, it's fantastic. And spring is the best time. You'll see now the garden centers are going to be completely covered in osteosperms, which are one of my favorite plants mm, in the world. Absolutely. I can't agree with you more. Yeah, At trials last year, I don't know if you remember Purple Sun, yes. which uh, it's, it's almost like from the outer petals inwards, it goes like from a yellow to a bronze to a vivid purpley pinky color. It's, it's spectacular, but it also is just covered in blooms. So that will be in garden centers now this spring. And I think that will it'll be a showstopper for sure. Now, some of these plants that we talk about, um, especially like pelargoniums, which we know are South African, osteosperms, South African. How well do they fare in other places like at the coast, for instance? Because, I mean, I know that trying to grow stuff at the coast is quite difficult. I've just been down to Port Alfred recently. Looks amazing. I mean, I, I see pin cushions and nodding everything's all over the place. But they do have a completely different kind of climate to where I would imagine that most of the trialing is taking place for all the new species that are coming out. Uh, yes and no. I think it's it's always been a tricky one figuring out the coast. One, you've got maybe humidity and the the warm climate and often things that are annuals everywhere else are perennials at the coast, which, you know, they're lucky for it. Uh, but these days, I know the ones who bred these impatience, they've now got a breeding facility in Thailand, in a very humid part of Thailand, and they've done it on purpose to make sure that these plants can cope and, and they trial them in these conditions to make sure they can cope for for other climates as mm. well. So I know they're doing a lot on marigolds and things like that because they're just 
you know, perfect. Uh, and these ones will do very well in the humid coastal type conditions. But the coast, you know, is it windy? Is it uh, is it dry cape? coastal is, region? Is it dry? Yeah. And, and, and it's very hard uh, to, to figure it out. Most of these will do fine at the coast. Uh, as I say, they probably sometimes get the advantage that they get a longer display because it's that much warmer and they've got those warmer night temperatures, which often just, you know, it brings more out in the plant. So I think the ones we've discussed so far, they'll do, do just fine at the coast. Now, one of the ones that I did see, and I, th- I don't know if it was the favorite of everybody that came through to trials, was Lewisia. And I'd never seen it before. And I looked at this and I looked at the flower on the plant and just thought, oh my goodness, that's amazing. It's so beautiful. And then realized it's pretty much like a succulent. Yeah, Lewisia, it's such a fascinating story. I mean, Lewisia could almost be called old-fashioned in the industry from long ago because it's it's been out for a long time. It's it's a tricky plant because it I think some of it actually originally was an alpine plant, so you needed the cold to get mm-hmm. it to flower, whereas this one is special in that you don't. So finally in South Africa, we can appreciate it too. But it is, it's weird to say alpine and succulent in the same sentence. I realize this, but the, it is a succulent. It once established this is a drought tolerant, happy little plant, put it in rockeries. What's fantastic is it's also a great indoor plant that's going to give you a great display. You put it inside on your, your dining room table and uh, it's it's just gorgeous. It's like a African violet you know, kind of upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, the market has gone crazy for that. I don't think we can keep up and gorgeous colors as well. So you, even your plain white, I mean, it's striking, but you get those ones with stripes and there's a red and it really is fantastic. And those are definitely going to be out there in your garden centers at the moment. And where did it originate from? Oh, <laughs> through a curveball yeah you? you did you did uh i'm not entirely sure like i say I, something in my head is saying alpine plant yeah uh, but i'm, I'm so somewhere in europe perhaps or yeah 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 it will have been european i think but i'm going to have to let you know am i allowed to google while we sit here you can google while we sit here no, yeah, good google to, is your friend good to show that i don't know everything eh? <laughs> and, and everybody says to me oh you must know everything and i'm like no i'm a generalist i'm not a specialist yeah. so how would you know and that is one of the things i mean that people People will come to you and say, oh, you, you must know everything. And yeah. you're like, no, I don't know everything. But I just want to go back to where you were saying about it being cold. And yes, alpine plants, they need the cold. We haven't had a particularly cold winter this year. Yeah, There are a lot of plants that need to have those very low nighttime temperatures and especially bulbs and things like that. But I mean, how much has it affected the plants that you're putting out at the moment? Um, at the moment, it's not hugely affecting us. If we're talking about messing with nature, when we're growing from very young seedlings and stuff, you, you often, you're, you're creating the climate. There's some climate control. So maybe you're heating a greenhouse to make sure that they're going to be plants ready for spring. Uh, cooling is a different story and that can be harder to do when you try to put them outside, but it can cause a problem for those that you need, you need the cold to induce the flowering. Mm. So that's why there are many plants out there that I think people would like to see in South African gardens that don't ever make it because they genuinely need short days and extremely cold temperatures, which even if we did have a winter, I don't think we'd reach those cold temperatures for a long enough time to, to have these flowers perform in our market. Like peonies. Yes. I have so many people coming and asking me, where can we get peonies from? And I know there is somebody who is doing some work with actually creating them that they can handle South Africa climate. 
But I still, I don't know. I don't know if they're actually going to make it through, to be honest. This is all this breeding we keep talking about. They they try for certain things. I think sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not. There are a few these days where we often talk about first-year flowering perennials, and those are coming out. And these are true perennials, not a South African geranium or petunia that's gone year-round, but mm. an actual perennial, your digitalis, your delphiniums, all those kind of things. And they do work on them, so they got they can cope in different temperatures and climates and they'll give you a flower in the first year which in the past it used to be you grow it you wait maybe in three years time you're going to start getting amazing flowers so they're always working on these things but yeah i would love to see the peonies in the garden but wouldn't it be lovely yeah they are exquisite now how long do you generally trial plants for before they are deemed fit for human consumption and i'm not talking about eating them although i do walk around eating a lot of the plants that i see the flowers yeah yeah we do that too yeah um so overseas they will have trialed it uh, uh very much before they even let us trial it so they've got to make sure there's various things that need to happen. If you find something amazing, it doesn't help if it's not going to produce cuttings or seed because then everyone's going to want it, but you can't produce it because what are you growing it from? So they get it to a point and I mean, that could take between as little as three to 10, 13 years to, to start bringing it to us. Mm. When we trial it, we trial it twice. Uh, so I first trial it and keep it a secret from everyone and look at it and, and, just see what they're going to look like. And then we also put them in the garden so that now they're performing in the gardens, but I trial it again in a different season and do the same thing again. Mm. Normally it's what you see in the November trials. We've probably seen for two years running. Some of them will be one year because some of them are pretty straightforward. If it's a Pentus and it's a new range and it looks fantastic and it's pretty straightforward. Other stuff, they give it to us before they've released it. So Mm. at least we can start seeing how it performs in the garden. And that's very important because in the greenhouse, it may look amazing in a pot. I remember the one year I fell in love with these lobelias. They were the most iridescent, beautiful colors you could ever imagine. And they just created like these, I called them cupcakes in the pot. They were just full of flowers and made a little cupcake. And when we put them in the garden, they just all died. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was devastated. And I thought, no, you know, we didn't water it. We didn't look after it. And so then you start speaking to all the other people trialing across the world Mm. And all their lobelias died. So this is why it is important. It would have been quite a, a problem if I decided, oh, it's got really pretty colors. Let's just sell it to South Africa. And then everything dies. And then everything dies. So this is why we do it. Yeah. And that's, this is one of the problems that we have in the garden centers where people are coming in and saying, well, I bought these things from that one supermarket store and now everything's dying. Well, yeah, yeah they, they've been kind of made to do that. And also probably because it hasn't got all the instructions on how to look after it properly. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day on the impatience beacon, is it going to die? And I'm like, well, it completely could if you don't water it, if you, uh, if you walk all over it, you know, if you let your dogs eat it, but it's not going to get downy mildew. Yeah, it's not going to die from anything that we've done. It might die from something you've done. Exactly. I guess another trial's coming up again in November. Yes. And uh, are going to be open to the public again? Yes, we'll do this Saturday, the public open day. It's it's just for those who want to come and see. We're actually doing it all for the trade, but it is very pretty. So mm. anyone who appreciates flowers is always more than welcome to come have a picnic in the gardens, come walk through the trial house, just see the amazing color. It's it's very uh, calming, relaxing, inspiring. It is, and it's a nice place to be um, in one of those grow houses in the middle of summer because it's nice and cool in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, great. So you'll let us know when that is happening and yeah. we'll let everybody know so that they can come and, and play. It will be Saturday the 10th of November. 
And I think as usual, uh, eight or nine till five, but I will definitely confirm all of that. And you can look at the Facebook page and the, the website and it will all be on there. Okay. So the, the Facebook page is under what? It's Ball Start Off. So yeah, I think just if you look for Ball Start Off on Facebook, we'll definitely be publishing the information there. Fantastic. Okay, great. So there's no excuse, ladies and gentlemen, you can get out there and you can go and get color for your garden, get into the mood, get into the swing of spring. Yes, let's all get out there. Thank you very much, Kathy. All right, thank you. We'll catch up with you again. And to the rest of you, of course, uh, don't forget you can join us for more fabulous stuff from the world of gardening. Just get out there and above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.